Well, we hope you're excited about Christmas, and uh, at Grace Hills Church, we're doing everything we can to help uh, your Christmas to be not only merry, but meaningful. And so uh, hopefully that's your desire for your family and for yourself, as well as those you know and care about. And as our children go to Children's Church, we decide about what they're going to be offering this coming Wednesday. Um, last, last Sunday, between the first and second services, I kind of lost part of my voice. I don't know where I put it, but... Uh, and so I'm still struggling a little bit. I, I don't think necessarily I'm sick, but uh, it's still a bit weaker than normal. I, I did bring up some water this time, and I was thinking, most times I don't bring up water, and there's a reason for that, because I, I always think that if the preacher gets a little dry, he shouldn't be able to you know, have a chance to wet his whistle when you're all out there suffering because of what he's saying. Uh, but if uh, something comes up, I might uh, grab uh, some water as, as we're preaching. I was thinking about Christmas, and as even as we had the children up here with uh, Bill and Pam, you know, we, uh, we really ex- are excited about seeing the wonder of Christmas in the eyes of little ones, and even as they grow up, and just seeing the majesty and the beauty of Christmas. And, and we want our children to be prepared for what comes. And I was reading a story about this uncle who was uh, in the home of uh, his family, and he, he saw this little boy. And his, his nephew, and he asked him, are you ready for Christmas? He said, well, not quite ready. Do you know? And he, then he responded, he said, do you know what you're going to give your brother? And he said, no, I haven't really thought about what I'm going to give your brother. And then he asked him the question, well, do you remember what he gave you last Christmas? And he said, yes, I do. He gave me the flu. Uh, and so hopefully I'm not going to give you anything this morning other than the Word of God. But uh, as we uh, think about Christmases, I can look back at certain Christmases where there are parts of our family that were sick, and uh, most of them were praying that we wouldn't get what they had. Uh, but this Christmas, we have so much to offer because we really know what the meaning of Christmas is. And so often we can get caught up in things that, that are fun, uh, but not necessarily that which is at the heart of what Christmas is all about. Uh, there are all kinds of places where you'll find people urging you to buy the perfect Christmas gift. Have you seen uh, some of those things that uh, really are, are for those who might not have what other people have, but you better have it if you're really going to be uh, what everybody is experiencing. I, was, I came across the App Store, and they were kind of emphasizing what are the favorite apps of this last year. I'm sure you're all dying to find out what that is. Uh, the favorite game of the year is Splitter Critters. How many knew that? Splitter Critters. In fact, their byline is, is this. They're adorable aliens in inventive puzzles, and you've got to play it to believe it. This is a place of faith, so if you really want to not only just believe what you have heard, but you can go put that app down in your little phone. Oh, by the way, we've been emphasizing Advent with Advent readings. Hopefully you've picked one up. But if you are kind of a tech person and want it on your phone, you can actually get this on your phone. Uh, app Store, Solid Joys. Uh, John Piper, whom we're using the readings this, this uh, year, uh, you can get that and you can get it on your phone uh, to look at. But there's another app of the year that I thought I'd share. There's all kinds of apps that they were trying to push. But there's an app called Calm. Anybody aware of that one? Man, you guys just aren't in the in crowd. What can I say? <laughs> you, can, you can download an app. And what's interesting about app, the, the app for Calm, it, it really, I was going to download it, but then I didn't. But anyway, it, it, it says, take a break in your day. My guess is it's an a app in which it will show you just soothing pictures, I don't know, oceans or mountains or whatever it might be. Take a break in your day and find yourself in a simple moment, wherever you are, any time in your day, and you can be calm. <laughs> you know, in many ways, as you think about what is emphasized during Christmas, it's, it's really kind of uh, 
a mirror of what the Christmas story promises to us. It promises to us that if you really experience Christmas, you'll have that peace, which is to be for all the people, and the joy that will, that will carry you for every moment of every day. Now, there's some things that God has created that he, he wants us to enjoy and experience peace as we, as we enjoy the beauty of the surroundings. But I, I want to say to you all that, and I think we are, we're preaching to most of you who understand this, that if you're really going to have a Merry Christmas and a meaningful Christmas, it's all about really knowing deeply the Christ of Christmas. It's really knowing who Jesus is and what it's all about. And there's a lot of ways to try to make sure that happens because it won't necessarily happen by accident because we get busy, there's so many things we do, and, and so all of a sudden Christmas is here and, and we've spent a lot of time baking. Well, I haven't been baking, but my wife's been baking, you know, and decorating. I haven't been decorating, but my wife's been decorating. But, you know, all those kind of things where we make sure the Christmas season we're prepared for. Uh, and, and what we try to do at Grace Hills Church, particularly this, this year, and we've done it in the past years as well, we try to do some things, give you some handles on how to make that happen. And a few years ago, we began the discipline of, of celebrating Advent. Now, I just want to share with you, I've talked to many of you, you said, well, that's not, I never used to do that. I, Advent wasn't part of my Christmas season, and really it wasn't part of mine for probably, I don't want to say how old I am, but probably 40 years. And 40, probably 40 of my years, I, we didn't celebrate Advent, and it wasn't because we thought it was wrong, we just didn't talk about it, we just didn't do it. But then I came across some people who did celebrate that, and I thought that was a meaningful way to, to kind of lead you up to not just think about Christmas on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, but throughout the season. And so what I want to do this morning and do a couple things as we've experienced Advent through the Advent candle celebration this morning. But I want to talk about what is Advent. We're going to talk about this morning the truth about Advent, and we've been talking about the truth throughout the Gospel of Luke. We're going to talk about what it is, and then we're going to kind of emphasize a certain theme and then kind of break it down in terms of what we ought to think about at Christmas or what is essential to think about at Christmas. First of all, what, what is Advent? Uh, the word actually comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And it was really begun, in fact, actually they can't trace it back too definitively in church history. Uh, some say it began around 480 uh, uh, years after the birth of Christ, and, and, the, and, and then others say, well, no, it really came back to the, the 12 apostles, and someone want to trace it right, right to Peter. And the reality is we don't know when that, that discipline or that approach to celebrating Christmas in this way uh, began, but it became part of what a lot of Christians did to, to set aside 25 days or so, four Sundays before Christmas, and, and really lead people into thinking more deeply and meaningfully about what Christmas is all about. If you look at Advent candles, you'll notice, in fact, uh, as I bring up people uh, to light the candles, they're always asking me the question, which one do I light and which ones don't I light, you know? Because there's uh, four, well, actually three uh, colors there, but of the four, uh, there are three that are the same and then one that's different. And there's all kinds of tradition or history behind that. The, The candles that we have there are are purple, and then one is pink. Uh, some Advent candles have blue, and they call it royal blue, and the three really that are the same color celebrate the, the majesty or the kingship or the royalty of that baby who was placed in the manger, who came to be the king of the Jews, and really not only the king of the Jews, but king of kings and lord of lords. And so throughout the Christmas season, you celebrate some aspect of, of who Jesus is through the lighting of those three candles. 
But if you think through the whole issue of, uh, or the, the, the thought or idea of Advent being the coming or arrival of Jesus, you need to recognize that at the first arrival of Jesus, it wasn't necessarily the happiest of moments. It wasn't filled with a lot of joy in Israel. Israel had experienced great hardship. And not only great hardship, but probably as much as anything else, a sense of loneliness before God. Then, in many ways, that sounds so counterintuitive or contrary to what we think about having a relationship with God that you would experience being far from Him when you think that the whole purpose of, of knowing Him is to be close to Him. And, and yet, for 400 years, it had been the 400 silent years between their God and His people, and He had not spoken to them. And in the midst of all of that, they experienced the hardship of other nations oppressing them. And, and so they were, they were filled with fear and doubt about what God was doing or what he was not doing. Yet in the midst of all that they were going through, there, were, there was a remnant of people that were looking forward to what, what God had promised him. In, in many ways, what we've wrapped the Advent season this particular year around is promises, that, that God made promises. And as we anticipate the arrival of Jesus for the first time, these promises that were made were going to be promises that were kept. And so as they were anticipating Jesus coming, uh, they experienced that God left the thrones of glory and, and God the Son became a child and, and grew up. For the purposes, and even as we heard this morning, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And, and so that people who are far from God can come to know God in a personal and intimate way. And, and so as we think about what Advent is all about, it's, it's a way to make Christmas not only merry with all the lights and, the, and all the decorations and all the opportunities to be with family and friends, but it's, it's that purpose of realizing there, there was a people who were looking to that time in which Jesus or where God would fulfill his promises and it was fulfilled in Jesus and it happened. But for us who look back at what did happen, it really is also a reminder that all those promises that were made about the one who was to come to set his people free have not completely been fulfilled because that won't be fulfilled until he comes again. Jesus came and then he promised he would come again. And so we're still anticipating what will happen when all the promises of God are kept and fulfilled. And so that's really what Advent is all about. It's a time and a way to think about the depth of the story of, of God leaving his throne in glory to become one of us so that we can become one of his. That's what Advent is really all about. Just one other comment in terms of the, the pink candle. Uh, there's another Latin word here, and I don't lo- know Latin, but I know someone who does know Latin. Is, uh, that's that's gada, gade te, no, gade te, and it's really a, a pink, as you can see, it's a pink a candle. And really the, the emphasis there was in the midst of, of their struggling for the promises of God that were made and hadn't been kept at that moment that they could look forward to the time in which those promises were made. In the midst of that, they would have great joy. So the third candle is, is separate from the other three because it's a, it's a reminder in the midst of all that happened. It wasn't just some historical event that, that clues us into God's eternal plan, but it was a plan that brought us great joy. So this morning what we want to do is we want to look at what 
Advent is all about, and hopefully you got at least a glimpse of what that means. And as we think about promises made and promises kept, but what I want to put it in a different way is that Christmas is all about predictions come true. We've talked throughout the Gospel of Luke that God wants us to not just know a fanciful story, but he wants us to know the truth. And that's really what this book is all about. It's all about conveying to us the truth that will change our lives and the life of this planet forever. And so this morning, we want to look at that. But I thought we'd take a step back. If we've been going through the scriptures, and over the last year, we've basically been going through the Gospel of Luke. We've, we've intervened there in a few times with a certain topical message that we brought to you. But it's all about understanding what the story of Jesus is all about. But if you remember back when we began this trip, we actually left out the first part of it. We did a couple introductory messages, but it wasn't Christmas when we started uh, the Gospel of Luke's story. And so we, we started in the third chapter of Luke. And, and now we're kind of going back and retracing our steps and, and unveiling the story that began it all in terms of Jesus coming here. But as I was reflecting about that, I was thinking, you know, it's interesting about Christmas. And we would probably say as a society or as a culture, we celebrate Christmas more than we actually do Easter. Easter really is the culmination of why Jesus came. And, and as you look at that, it's, it's somewhat mysterious because as you look at the four Gospels, uh, it's interesting, and we've already seen this, that not every story, not every encounter that Jesus had here on earth is repeated in all four of the Gospels. Only a few of them are. And what's interesting about that, of the four Gospels, only two of them really speak about the birth of Jesus. And so you're wondering if only half of them speak about Jesus' birth, why are we making such a big deal about it every year? Well, part of that is because our culture drags us into that with the whole consumerism that we get caught up in and and making the beauty of the season. Uh, But I think if we look back at the four Gospels, we'll see really in the midst of that, though they don't specifically talk about Christmas, they really have the Christmas story in each one of them. And so what I want to do this morning, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to make this more academic than it needs to be, but, but I, want to, I want to look at the Christmas story from all four accounts that kind of layer itself in, in a little bit different way. But in the, as I layer it, what I want to emphasize for all of us, that this, is, this, is, this is what we all need to do in, in some way, shape, or form to think through the meaning of Christmas and really what it's all about. And, and there, are, there are some essentials that if we leave this out, then we've missed it. And, and, and I don't think any of us want to miss Christmas this year. And so let's look at it this morning as we look at what God wants to see happen in each one of our lives and our family's lives and our friends' lives and people we really care about. But in case in the midst of uh, our simple look at the four accounts of the life of Jesus in a simple way that's mirrored in and in the Gospel of Luke. I, I want to give you my conclusion to begin with. In case, in case you're already kind of drifting a little bit, let me, let me tell you what the point this morning is. What Christmas ought to result in in our lives is that we come and we adore Him. We come and, and we see Him as He really is. We see Jesus and we want to bow down and stand up and, and raise our hands and surrender to the one who came as a as a child in the manger, but did not stay in the cradle, but went to the cross so that we could celebrate life forever. And we're going to sing that later on in our worship today. Oh, come let us adore him. 
And if you've looked at the Advent readings and if you've gone through them, that, that really was the, the push for us to have you read through the account of the life of Jesus as he came here on earth, is that because of thinking more deeply about Jesus, you are left with just a sense of awe and reverence to the one we are called to adore him. Not just when we sing a, a carol on Christmas, but every moment of every day we remember who he is. But well, let's look at this morning. What is true about Advent? And, and Advent is summarized in four different ways of looking at the, the story of Jesus, particularly at his birth. But, but let's, let's begin this way. What is true? First of all, it is true that one came to prepare the way for Jesus. Look at you. I don't have any, your, your verses written out in your outline this morning, but if you have your Bibles, turn to the New Testament, and we're going to look at just four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at some parallel passages that really unveils this story. Luke chapter 1, verse 16, 17 says this. And he will turn, speaking of John the Baptist, many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so, that, so as to make a people prepared for the Lord. And then just flip over, if you have your Bibles open to Mark, which is the one right before the Gospel of Luke. In Mark chapter 1, interesting enough, this is where Mark starts his account of the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, beginning verses 1 and 2. In the beginning of the gospel, in the gospel is the good news, and as we think about the story of Christmas, it's all about good news. And he says, in the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, where does he begin? He begins this way, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. So what is really true about Christmas and what is essential about Christmas? Christmas didn't just happen. It wasn't some, you know, just random act of God that he somehow just threw in the, in the pool of history and said, okay, let's, let's just start this. That, that God from the very beginning has said, this, there's going to be a way in which you'll recognize that this baby is not like just any, any baby that was born in, a, in an impoverished way, out in a corner of some bleak part of the land of Israel. But that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a glimpse that this is, this is starting with someone who's going to come before Jesus. And, and he's going to prepare the way for, for people to be ready for Jesus. Uh, I think we've all at times read certain accounts about when dignitaries come to our country or when our president or someone else comes to even part of our, one of our states in America. Is there as much preparation as made before they come? And let me tell you, it is expensive. Uh, I think I was reading uh, for both of the, the last two presidents, whenever they golf with one of the celebrities, and I think uh, Pre- President Trump just uh, golfed recently with Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus and stuff like that. We're talking about not just a few dollars, you know, change from your pocket, but we're talking, uh, I think, with over a couple million dollars for him to have a golfing event with a, with a celebrity in our, in our world. Just the safety and security that goes on there. And if that be true in terms of preparing the way for someone in our time, age, just think about the preparation that, that, that God made to prepare the way for Jesus. But it wasn't to have security around him because there wasn't a whole lot of security around Jesus other than the angelic host. It was that someone would be sent 
to prepare people's heart to meet Jesus. And you know what really the, the privilege that we have as God's people? One, one is if, if you're here this morning and you're still on the outside looking in or maybe you're just still investigating the claims of Jesus and you're not really sure about what, what the Christ of Christmas is all about, then, then I hope that all that happens this Christmas prepares your heart to come to that crossroads of life and determine once for all who do you believe Jesus is. But what, what we are called as God's people is to be that for other people. Is to come into their lives and, and prepare their hearts to, to hear about the good news about Jesus. And how do we do that? How, how do we prepare someone else to, to hear about Jesus? Well, well, there's basically only two messages in the midst of the, the essentials of the good news about Jesus. One is just how much God loves them, how much God cares about them, how much God has a plan for their life, how much God can take that which is wrong in their life and make it right. But the other side of it is, do you know that we, we all fall so short of knowing him? And what was the message of John the Baptist? It was, it was pretty simple. Repent. 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 Because we are so far from knowing him because of the sin in our own lives. And so easy for us to identify the sin in other people's lives, but really what we need to prepare other people to recognize, it's not so much about pointing your fingers at other people, but take a close look at your own heart. Do you realize that no matter how good you think you are compared to somebody else, as you think about coming before a holy God, you fall so short. And yet the good news is in the midst of all that we fall so short of, he draws us to himself if we will, by, by faith, respond to his message. Who, who is it in your life that, that you can walk into Share about God's love and grace and mercy that you've experienced. And then share the necessity of them to consider that they need to make that step as well. I was, I was thinking about, I, I was playing pickleball with some people this week. And, and uh, this, uh, this person I was playing with after the game was over was, was saying, well, you know, I didn't really try that hard. You know, we, I, was, I, I, I was too tired. I wasn't really thinking about the game. They got they got killed by our team. And, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry that you didn't play hard when we beat, you know. And they, well, I'm so, you know, then realized what they had done. They say, well, you know. And so, and I, I kind of, I, I never get like this, but I kept pushing it. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it went on and on and on and on and on, you know, as I sometimes do. And they said, well, you stop. You're making me feel so guilty. And I said, well, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> what do you mean by it? Well, I'm a professional. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, I get it. I get it. You know. His, we're not talking about putting people on a guilt trip, but we're, we're bringing the point of, of people understanding that they fall short, and there's only one hope, and that's Jesus. John the Baptist had a pretty short portfolio. I want you to prepare the way for Jesus. Not draw attention to yourself, but draw attention to God loving them, but God has a plan for their life, which they will not experience because of the sin in their life. What is true about Christmas? What is true about the Advent season? What is true about anticipating what was to come? It was true then, it's true now, is that we need to be realizing that God came by sending John to prepare the way, and we need to ask ourselves the question, are we preparing the way for others? And Mark began there, and Luke repeated it in his account of the life of Jesus. But also, I want you to understand this, and this is just, this is, Christianity 101. It is true that not only Christmas is all about one came to prepare the way for Jesus, it is also true that Jesus really is God, the Savior. 
And this is where people miss up, of course. They think Jesus is a great moral teacher, that he might have been a prophet, that he might have been a religious leader, that he might have been a person that, that did good things, uh, maybe even the miraculous things. But he was, he was a special person, but that's it. Well, we need to understand that the, the message in the scriptures concerning who Jesus is, he's, he's so much more than that. He really is God. Let me just read from the account in Luke, and then we'll go back and we'll look at the other uh, gospel that begins actually pre-Christmas, but really it's all about the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 1, verse 45 through 47, we, we have these words. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And that's why Advent is all about promises made and then promises kept, predictions given, and then they came true. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. She came to adore him. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Even when we make mention that Jesus is my Savior, it is a statement that he has to be God. Only God can forgive us of our sin. Only God can rescue us from where we are to where we need to be. But look at what John does in his account concerning Christmas. And just like Mark kind of begins in a strange way, begins with the, the, the forerunner preparing the way, and we are to follow that example, prepare the way. He begins in the very beginning. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I remember the first time I read this, I was, uh, well, I'd read it before, but I didn't understand it. And sometimes you read things, and you don't even think about whether you understand what you're reading. Anybody there? You know, you read it, and you go, okay, it's the Bible, so it's probably good for me whether I understand it or not. But I remember the first time I was in a situation where I had to read this section, and then someone told you, and then you got to explain it afterwards. I go, oh, well, I can do that. And I read it, I go, I have no idea. Who's the word here? That doesn't make sense. And, and then, I, then I read just a little bit further in, in, in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It then identifies who the word is. Verse 12 says this. I will start at verse 9. There was a true light which coming in the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Who's the him here? He came in his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as, received him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. I'm thinking, who is this him that if you believe in him, you can have life? And, and then it goes on in verse 13 and says this, who, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So this is a supernatural thing. This is not just something you can do on your own. But again, who is the him and who is the word? And then verse 14 says this, and the word became what? Flesh. And dwelled among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is true about this little baby in the manger? He, he, he's the Word. He's, he's the Word of God, the Word who was with God, but the, the Word who is God. Then who is the Word? It's, it's the Word become flesh. It's the Greek word logos, which has the whole idea of he... he, he he is the one who really explains and is everything. And so what we have here in terms of the Christmas story is one to recognize it began not some happenstance way, but 
but God had outlined a whole way for it to happen, and it began with someone preparing the way. And I dare say every one of us here who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, there have been people, significant people in our lives who, who led us to the point of believing in Jesus. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a, a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was someone at work. Maybe it was someone just living the life, and we just could not explain how they lived that life because they were different than everybody else, and they drew us to find out the answer, and they explained very simply the answer was Jesus. And that goes right back to the story of Christmas in which John came to prepare the hearts of, of people who are receptive to turn from that which keeps them from Jesus and come to know Jesus, which was their sin. The things that they knew, even on their own standards, fell short of a holy standard. And then as they came to that point and they, they heard about Jesus, they began to realize, oh, are you really? I remember in, in a Bible study I was teaching, actually in college, and I was, it was kind of an investigative Bible study, and there were people in this, the group, and they had, they had never opened a Bible in their life. And, and one of them asked this question after we had been meeting for a couple of weeks, and they, they, they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, stop. Are you trying to tell me that you're saying that Jesus is God? And I thought, what an awesome question. You get it. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Now, you have to decide whether you believe that's true, but that's exactly how I understand what the Bible is saying clearly, that Jesus is God. And because he is God, then he can be your savior, which which I mean is that he can rescue you from everything that's wrong in your life because he can forgive you of your sin and keep you from eternal judgment. And and you need to place your faith in him. But you got to decide, are you willing to turn from the way you live to, to his life and what he wants to do in your life. What is Advent all about? It's about realizing that there's one who came to prepare the way for Jesus. And secondly, that, that Jesus is God, the Savior. It's true. So looking at Luke and Mark and, and John, you know, we really only have one other gospel other than Luke and what do, what do we learn from Matthew's account of the story of Jesus? And I'd put it this way. It is true that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies about Christ. And this is, a, this is found in the Gospel of Luke, but it's also found in Matthew. We're going to see it in a moment. In Luke chapter 2, we have this account. And Luke gives the longest account of the life of Jesus. And all the, most of the specifics of the story are found in, in Luke's account. But in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 5, we hear these words. Now, in these days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, he was engaged uh, to him and was with child. And so you had Joseph and Mary going to register and fulfilling the law to, to go into the land of Israel. And, and then it says, for, while they were there, they were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to the firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so you, you see the parents of Jesus identified. And in Matthew chapter 1, and we're not going to read Matthew 1 and 2, but you have uh, the section of Scripture that's probably the most favorite passages or section in all God's Word. It's, it's the, uh, the begats, right? The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, Matthew chapter 1, 
the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. To the brothers, Judah was the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez, and it goes on and on and on. And you're thinking, what in the world did God decide to do when he wasted that paper to list all those genealogies, right? Now, some of you are fascinated with genealogies. Um, uh, I guess since we're talking about genealogies, I just want to let you know that my great, 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 great uh, uh, grandfather um, came over on the Mayflower. Aren't you all impressed? He came as an indentured servant. His name was George Soule on my mom's side. So uh, I guess he wasn't very high on the social status thing here, but he came as a little slave. But, you know, we sometimes look back and we're fascinated by that. Now one of the fascinating things is uh, give out a test and you find out what percentage you're, you're whatever you are from wherever part of the country and things like that. But th- this is much more significant than that, much more significant than that. Be- because what it here does for us is it identifies that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. God, God, God did not want to have any, God the Father did not want to have any confusion about that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Anyone can claim to be God, but how are you going to demonstrate you are God? And we've talked at times, and we'll continue to talk at times, why we ought to believe that Jesus is God. But here, here's one of them at the heart of the Christmas story, is that he fulfilled the, the predictions, the, the prophecies concerning Jesus. And we're just going to look at a, a few of them this morning really briefly. If you have it on the back of your outline, here's this one that's happened at the very beginning of the account of the life of Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. Who was going to be this person who was going to come as the Messiah? One, he'd be born in the seed of a woman. Secondly, he'd be born of a virgin. Thirdly, proclaimed as son of God. Third, uh, uh, fourthly, seed of Abraham, son of Isaac, son of Jacob, son of, tribe of Judah, family line of Jesse, house of David, born at Bethlehem, presented with gifts, Herod killing children. And you say, well, why is, that, why is that supposed to be convincing that, that Jesus is who he claimed to be because he fulfilled these prophecies? Well, just think about it for a moment. One, in the very beginning, God wanted to identify that he was going to send someone, and this is what Abbott is all about, waiting for the one who is to come, waiting for the arrival of the one who had been promised in the very beginning. Do you know where God gave his first promise? In the very first, what? Book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3.15, after we sin, and the reason the world is in the, in the messes it is in, all we have to do is look in the, what? In the mirror. The reason we are in a mess is because we're pretty messy on the inside. And so God said, I'm going to sin in the seed of the woman to take the one who, who tempted uh, Adam and Eve to sin, and I'm going to crush his power by a person who's going to be the seed of a woman which is somewhat unique because really every other man who's ever been born on this earth was born of a seed of a man, but this was born in the seed of a woman. Secondly, I want to let you know, and you can believe it or not, but I want you to identify this is going to be a birth unlike any other birth, and I guess if God were to enter this world, he would probably come a way like no one else came. Would we agree with that? I think that would be pretty significant for God to, to lead us to faith. And faith is not a blind step of, of, of faith into the dark. It's, it's a step of faith into the light. And so it was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin as no one else has ever been born. Thirdly, he would be, be claimed as a son of God. It's one thing to make that claim for yourself. It is another way for that to happen in a, in a miraculous way in a public setting, right? When Jesus was baptized, and he didn't need to be baptized because he, has, he had not sinned, but he sinned as an identification, and that's what baptism is, is an identification that who you're following. And so when he was baptized... Uh, 
and he came out of the waters, what happened? There was a voice out of heaven that said, this is, this is my, what? Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. So he was proclaimed the Son of God. You can believe it or not, but that's the account we have in, in, in the Scripture, and it was, never, it was never changed by any other one who, who were down around at that time. But then you know, well, what about the genealogy? What do they tell us about that? Well, it says he's the seed of Abraham. Well, what's significant about that? Well, I want you to understand, as you begin to think about how God picked identification for who was going to be Jesus, he, he began to pare down the, the people who could possibly qualify. Quite frankly, you know, I told you I, I came on the, well, I didn't come on the Mayflower, but George Soule came on the Mayflower. Uh, but I would not qualify as the Messiah. I would not qualify as the Christ because I would not fit the genealogical record of who the promised Messiah would come as. He would become the seed of Abraham. Well, as you think about that, well, who, who does the seed of Abraham uh, eliminate? Well, it eliminated at that particular time two-thirds of the population because when the flood came, you had, Noah had how many sons? Three. Well, Abraham came out of the tribe, out of the Shem line. So the other two got eliminated. Well, then Abraham comes, and, and then he, he finally has a son. It actually, he has two sons, one by Hagar. It was Isaac and Ishmael. Did, did, the, tri, did the promised one come from Ishmael or Isaac? It came from Isaac, so half that population got a, 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 you know, changed. And then, then it says he was going to be the son of Jacob. How many sons did Jacob have? Well, no, actually, how many sons did Isaac have? He had two, I, 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 um, Esau and Jacob. And so it came from the tribe of Jacob, and so... The line of Jacob, so half that got changed. And then you have the line of, of, uh, of Judah. And you say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, how many sons did, did Jacob have? He, had? he had 12. And so 11 twelves out of the line of, of Israel got eliminated because it had to come from the line of Judah. And then he gets to the line of Jesse. How many sons did Jesse have? He had eight. He had eight. Okay, um... Actually, Dan Mayer has to go through, uh, he, he has, no, okay. He had eight, okay, so he had eight, and he had eight, so, uh, and it only came out of the line of David, so seven eights out of that came. You understand what I'm saying here? All these things began to be split over and over and over and over again. And, and so what God wants us to do is uniquely be convinced that he was the one who was going to come as the promised Messiah because he fulfilled all the predictions. And then if you look at all the places in the entire world that, that the Messiah was going to come to be born at, it identified it was going to be Bethlehem. And so if somehow you weren't born in Bethlehem, I just want to alert you to the fact that you don't qualify either. And, oh, and by the way, if at your birth, or at least within two years of your birth, uh, you didn't get surrounded by gifts from afar, sorry, you don't qualify either. And then, just in case you're wondering, if somehow someone wanted to make sure you did not survive, that all the male children two years and older weren't slaughtered, then I'm sorry, you don't qualify either. And so as you think about this, and there have been people who've tried to put some probability things to the prophecies concerning Jesus, there are at least, there are at least 60 major, some say there's over 300. And if you just take eight, this is more kind of looking at the prophecies related to the the resurrection of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ. But Peter Stoner, a number of years ago, said, well, if you take the prophecies, just eight of the prophecies, not all, not all 60, and try to develop a probability of whether these things actually happen, 
The likelihood of this happening, just with these prophecies, is 1 to 10 to the 17th power. Now, what is 1 to 10 to the 17th power? It's taking the, the state of Texas and filling it with silver dollars two feet deep, marking one of them with an X, bulldozing all the silver dollars throughout the, the state of Texas and taking a man blindfolding him on his first pick. He picked the one with the X on it. Now, this might not be convincing to you, but this allows me or causes me to think a little bit. Maybe this is not some fanciful story. Maybe this is not something that preachers talk about. Maybe this is actually true. And really, as I've been asking myself the question, hopefully you're the question, as you think about what Christmas is all about, number one, the very first Christmas, there came someone to prepare the way. And the question for me, am I preparing the way for others? And as I'm thinking about who Jesus is, he really is the God. He is the Christ. And my question for me, do I really believe this? And then it begin, as I begin to doubt about whether I, what I believe is actually really true, and I think about the reasons to believe, I, I ask myself the question, am I convinced? Am I convinced this is actually true? And for me, it takes more faith not to believe this than to, to, the faith that it takes to believe it when I really look at the reasons why Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, we run out of time, but let me just say this. As we look at the heart of the Christmas story, the result of the truth of the, the Christmas story, I leave you with this. Not only is it true that one came to prepare the way, not only is it true that Jesus is the God and Savior of this world, it's not only true that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies, and we just looked at the ones at his birth, basically. It is true that Jesus came, and he's the source of true and great joy. For behold, an angel came and said to them, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Why? For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a what? Savior, who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Uh, I want to submit to you and to, to, to myself as well. Really, if I'm going to have a merry and meaningful Christmas, I've got to get back to the source. What is the true joy? Where, where is my joy coming from? I, we, we, we all can look at Christmas's past and anticipate Christmas's future, and there's going to be some gaps in some of the things we would like to see happen at Christmas. If you've lived for any length of time, there, there, there are people who are not going to be there. And there, there's a grief and sorrow. But in the midst of that, where, where is the source of joy for Christmas? Is it, is it living in a perfect world now? Is it the absence of any heartache or pain? Is it, is it having no reason for sorrow? Or is it that as they waited for Jesus to come the first time, we had the opportunity to wait for him to come again. And whether we're here when it happens or whether we're with him and coming with him, this is the source of true joy. Knowing the Christ of Christmas. So I want to conclude where I try to begin. What's the so what of Christmas? What's the so what of the advent? The truth about trying to think through Christmas and make it meaningful as well as merry. It's, it, it should conclude with this. We come to adore him. And the reason we 
can adore him, not in some sentimental way, that's, but, but the reason we can really reverence him and honor him and glorify him and, and submit to him and surrender him and give him our lives fully and completely, not because we live in a perfect world, but we know one who is perfect, who came not only to clean up the mess in our lives, but to give us joy. And, and the word in the original language for, for joy is for great is mega. It's mega joy. Uh, a joy that's not always with a silly grin on your face, but it's a deep and abiding joy because you know the one who created you and came to rescue you and can save you. Let's pray together. Well, I pray that we might be a people that, that really deeply know you. And Father, be someone here this morning that that really wants to get in on what the God who has made all desires for them. Might they, might they see Jesus and who he really is as truly God, truly Savior, truly one who came to rescue us from our sin and any judgment that is coming. But we must come to that point where we really believe and are really convinced that he is what life is all about. And, Father, they can do that by simply surrendering their lives to you right now, by asking Jesus to come into their life, forgive their sins, and make them a new person on the inside. And, Father, for the rest of us, I pray this might be a a Christmas that we regularly and consistently try to prepare ourselves for what this season is all about. Help us to be recipients of your love and the dispensers of your love to others. And we pray some Christ's name.